the saying is that deep sea fishing or offshore fishing, particularly for marlin, is hours upon hours of boredom interrupted by 10 seconds of sheer panic. Uh, and then about an hour, hour and a half, uh, up to five hours of really hard work getting the fish to the boat. Welcome to For the Love of Boats. I'm your host, Kelly Moulton, CCO Sensar Marine. Welcome, Tim O'Brien uh, from Pensacola, Florida. And I have to make a full confession here. This is an entirely subjective uh, podcast because I'm speaking to literally one of my oldest friends since uh, childhood. Good to see you. Thank you for joining. Oh, Kelly, thank you for having me. And it's good to see you. We just have to, I think, leap right into the topic. Uh, bill fishing. Uh Big game fishing. I was just reading before this podcast that, you know, here I am a Pensacola native, that we have uh, Pensacola Big Game Fishing Club. Uh, can you tell me all about that and how you got into it? Sure. So it's a um, bit of a story, but uh, the Big Game Fishing Club is a group of anglers uh, that some of which own boats, many of which do not, but that are really their organizing principle in life, it seems to be, is getting offshore and catching big game fish, which would include uh, marlin. So blue marlin, white marlin, also uh, tuna, yellowfin and bluefin tuna, and uh, wahoo, and what we call dolphin, but uh, you uh, in Europe probably call mahi-mahi, yep. uh, and in Spain they call it dorado. Uh, and so those are really the categories of big game fish in addition to like swordfish. But the sport really has changed since I've been involved. I got involved back in the 90s uh, with a good friend of ours, Dr. Wimberly, on, on his boat, the Paradox. <laughs> and um, the sport really has changed, uh, the, the, for the, particularly for the billfish. There's, a, there's very much a, an emphasis on uh, catch and release. Yep. And the, video, the tournaments really have gone uh, with the rare, rare, rare exception of what is a, a monster fish, a fish that is so, so well beyond the federal legal limit that it qualifies as a, like a monster. Uh, and that would be a fish that's like six or 700 pounds. <laughs> yeah. um, and every other fish is, that's a billfish is released. And so it's, it's really evolved, but it's made it a lot more fun. And frankly, between that and the, um, the fishery being closed to longliners, the Gulf fishery, it really has rebounded. I mean, so the fishing now... Uh, in my opinion, in 2021, is much better than it was in the 1990s when I first began fishing. Right. So you trained up with Dr. Wimbley and David on on his boat, like you were you were a, a novice rookie crew member. Is that it? Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah. So I had grown up uh, on a farm out in Pine Forest area and had um, done bass fishing, and I really like bass fishing quite a bit. And David, when we we're early teenagers had a little, remember that little 17 whaler he had, uh, he and I would push the envelope of that, that, that boat as to where it should be. Uh, <laughs> meaning did you take it and, out past the pass or, Oh yes. Yeah. It was our first offshore boat. So we would get out there and we were going after things like, uh, <laughs> King mackerel offshore boat. Yeah, that's right. Now the, the, the gunnel was about maybe eight inches above the waterline. So there wasn't much margin for error, but we, we did catch some nice fish in that boat. But ultimately Dr. Wimberly saw that, uh, you know, I was showing up and that I really liked, fishing and so he and david both were 
kind enough to invite me. Um, I can't remember. It was, it was probably 91 um, to fish offshore. And the very first fish we caught on that boat, they gave to me since I was a guest. And it was a really nice size Wahoo, like a 50 pound Wahoo. <laughs> and my frame of reference was gone. And it was like, okay, no more King mackerel, no more bass fishing. This is what I'm going to do. <laughs> so, That's good. I like it. Yeah. So- so let's fast forward to today. I think I uh, exchanged some messages with you on Facebook. You just picked up a new boat. Yes, uh, we, we did. So we've been fishing on a 54 Hatteras for the last three years and, um, and, and really liked it. Uh, but that boat was, was um, we've outgrown that boat in terms of the range we need in terms really of my family size too. So we got a, uh, <clears throat> the next model up, which is a 63 Hatteras. Uh, it's called a 63 GT and the boat actually, um, we bought it out of Costa Rica and very interestingly, uh, that boat has a history in the Gulf. Uh, the boat used to be called the born to run and there's another boat now called the born to run a successor boat, but this boat, the born to run when it was the, the 63 Hatteras was the first boat in the Gulf to catch 50 blue Marlin in a season. And, it, and, uh, so it's got good proud history. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see if we can live up to it. Uh, but it's a good boat. It's a fast boat. It's a clean boat. And, um, and, and it's, it's a good size. It's a perfect size for my family. And so this will be, uh, uh what I consider to be my long-term boat. This is, uh, we're going to ride this for a while. What sort of engine? So it has uh, massive Caterpillar engines. They're uh, called C32As, and it, obviously two engines, and they're each 1,900 horsepower. So it combined um, uh, horsepower of 3,800. And what kind of like optimal cruising speed then, assuming calm seas? What 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 would that look yeah, like? Yeah, the whole the whole speed I think is 31 or 32 knots. That'll give you the greatest range. And um, at that whole speed, you know, you get a uh, a range of a little over 420 miles uh, on it without any fuel bladders on board. So typically when we go offshore and we're going down to Louisiana uh, or even closer to Texas, we'll have another 500 gallons of fuel on the deck and, and bladders. Right. And so, uh, so without the bladders, just with the, the, the fuel on board, it'll, that's the optimal cruising speed other than just going real slow. If you chugged, then you have almost <laughs> infinite range, you know? Uh, but yeah, yeah. So it, it really what we, what we do is we go at, uh, typically 1925, which is 1920, 100, 1925 RPMs. Yep. And that'll get you 31, 32 knots. And it give you a nice, yeah. nice. That's a great speed. That's a healthy clip yeah. actually. Oh yeah. Um, Okay, so I have never been uh, game fishing or bill fishing in my in my life. Can you just just walk me through? I've actually, I think I I saw that you actually won, came in second or something in a tournament uh, last year. Can you talk us through that? Sure. So um, we actually came in second in two tournaments back to back. One was <laughs> uh, the Emerald Coast uh, Blue Marlin Classic, and the other one was Pensacola International, and the the Emerald Coast one is out of Destin, Florida, and that one um, was a a uh, a fourth quarter fish, uh, as we would say. And <clears throat> so we were uh, it's a three day tournament. The third day of the tournament, circling around, haven't caught a fish of any size, and we see several boats around an oil rig circling around. 
Now, these boats, these bigger boats, have uh, very advanced sonar. So they've got 360-degree sonar, and it's actually got a periscope on it. <laughs> and it gives them about a half mile of an umbrella to look at to see what's not only on the surface or immediately below the boat, but what's in that umbrella for about you know half mile circumference around the boat. And they're all circling, and they're like, where we, we knew they saw a big, <laughs> big fish. <laughs> so as the surfers would say, uh, you know, we shoulder hopped them. We took their wave, um, <laughs> and, uh, kind of got in line. We were trolling. Uh, so we're trolling, um, uh, just plastic lures and they were live baiting, which means they've got a live little black fin tuna or yellow fin tuna, like five or 10 pounds, uh, on it. Yep. And very soon we, the fish hit uh, the big fish. And uh, the problem was we, because we had to get inside that circumference, we were very, very close to the oil rig. And these blue marlin are very fast. So this was a 600-pound blue marlin. <laughs> and they're very fast. They can swim 40 to 50 miles an hour. <laughs> and they're very powerful. Yep. And so the line starts peeling off. And, of course, he's very smart, or she is. Uh, big ones are, are females. She's very smart. She's swimming right at the rig to cut the line. And so the captain, a very good captain, uh, Travis Gill um, basically had to keep steering the fish in a uh, demaloon pattern to keep it out of the rig. So that and so that was really the main part of the fight was yep. getting it away from the rig, and that took uh, twenty or thirty minutes to get it far enough away from the rig with all these boats circling around. And now you've just taken the big fish they were spotting. They're not so happy about it. <laughs> and um, so once we got out of the uh, once we got out of the um, the the blast zone so to speak then uh we got the fish to the boat in another 30 minutes so it was about an hour-long fight um and a, a friend of mine up that i put in the chair mike moret uh caught it and what what's really funny about mike he's very tall like you but the guy is slender like a uh like a pipe cleaner and he's just how he's built he eats probably four thousand calories a day but he's just got this metabolism won't quit and he put he whipped that fish um so that was really cool to see uh because he used mechanical advantage he used the right technique and bringing the rod up to his chest and then reeling down um and uh so that was a beautiful fish we knew that it would it would it would place we knew that uh that, that she'd be in contention so great um, story so how many people are on the boat when you're out like at a tournament like that and what are they doing the, what are their roles so usually the optimal number is like seven or eight wow and and so you have a captain someone running the the helm then you have uh mates uh so who are not going to be in the chair fighting the fish, but are doing everything else. Um, so the mate uh, does everything from, um, for instance, if we're live baiting and we're using live blackfin tuna or yellowfin tuna, we'll rig that bait up. And that's a Central American technique. And it's very simple, um, but you got to keep that fish fresh. The other thing they do is because we're always running, at night we're always running, there will be a certain mate uh, or two who will take night shift, who will run the boat at night just to, you know, look out for other boats, look out for yep. pirates, or don't make sure you don't run into a drill ship or a rig. And then when a fish is hit, when a fish hits the line, then whoever's the deck boss at the time, either me or, uh, or the mate on the deck, will say who's getting in the chair, get them in the chair. Um, angler is uh, fighting the fish. The, the mace job, if it's not me or a more experienced angler, is really to keep the, the fisherman calm. 
because the immediate thing they want to do is get that fish to the boat in about five minutes. And if you've got a six or 700 pound marlin, that's not necessarily a good thing. You want that thing to be a little tired out. Right. Um, but then once <laughs> the fish gets to the boat or gets to um, the prox, you know, around the boat, then the real fight is what we call wiring. Um, wiring is when the, 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 the mate with the strongest mate with the longest arms grabs the leader, uh, the fishing leader. So, you know, you go from monofilament to a heavier mono or fluoro, uh, uh, leader, which is heavier so that the fish can't snap it with his bill. And then you've got your terminal tackle, which is the hook or the, uh, the lure with a hook on it. Um, and so for catch and release, a fish is considered caught once that, uh, leader is is touched right and if you have a photo of video confirmation with the designator and you show the species you show a safe release you show the fish with color swimming away and you have no other lines in the water that's a that's a catch and release fish for a fish that's coming to the scales uh that's a whole different fight that wire job um because you are it's you're typically the mates 150 180 pounds and he's fighting a six or seven hundred pound fish yeah. with just his two arms. There's yeah. no, there's no gears. There's no pulleys. There's no block and tackle. It's just his two arms that he's pulling uh, that fish to the boat, and then another mate grabs the bill. You measure it to make sure it's tournament legal because our tournament sizes are typically about almost two feet longer than the federal legal limit. Uh, that is truly a trophy fish, and we've got a uh, a measurer for that. And once you confirm. Uh, that it's legal, then the decision has to be made, is that fish coming on the deck or not? And that decision is always made by the owner. And that, so that's me. Yep. Um, and um, all the while, <laughs> another person is videotaping the whole process. Because yep. if you make the decision to release it, you're like, you know what, it's 108. It's not 110. We've got to, she's gone. She's, she's out of here. Let's take the release points. Um, you have to have that video running. You have to have all these elements shown. But I can tell you that that last 10 minutes uh, of the fight where the wire job comes in often is repeated two or three or five or eight times. So the one we caught in the international, which we ended up releasing, which was actually bigger than the one in, um, in Destin. Yep. We released it because number one, uh, the, the, the limit was five inches actually longer. Uh, it's 115 inches in the international. And number two, uh, because we, uh, it was just too close to the line. And so you got to have margin for error. It was yeah. like the measurement says it's 115. Uh, who knows? I'm not going to, I'm not going to take a risk of a risk of killing an old girl like this. If I don't know for a hundred percent sure that she's tournament legal. But that fight, uh, that fish I would estimate is probably another hundred pounds. And that fight took five or six or seven wire we have jobs. To, we, have, we have to go to the second fish. We're segue over to the, but if we go back to Emerald Coast, um, so you won second. Right. And what was the prize? So you get a trophy <laughs> and um, one of those big happy Gilmore checks and our check uh, for that tournament was $182,000. That's extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. It's It was uh, it was a fun moment. And so of course we... I still have the check. I mean, and, uh, <laughs> and, and it's in my living room and my wife is, uh, what are you going to do with that? And I'm like, I'm doing it. It's right there. <laughs> but, but Tim, um, so do you, do you run this boat as a business? 
I mean, I, of course it's for joy, but have you, forgive if it's, if you don't answer, but is it set up like you're running a business? It is. It is. And the reason why is because there's so much money involved in these tournaments uh, and, and coming and going. And so when I bought this boat, I knew that and I knew it was going to be competitive. And I said, I am not going to spend all this money. And then when that big happy Gilmore check comes along, the tax fan says, okay, where's my 40% of that? And uh, because there's so many expenses to offset against that. Of course. Of course. So yes, we do. uh, We run it um, as an LLC and, uh, and, um, uh, got my Catherine on payroll. So he's a W2 employee. He's got health insurance. Uh, cool. You know, so it, we run it like a business and I expect it to be run like a business, but it's the business is catching fish and having fun. Yeah. And <laughs> not bad <laughs> dream realized. <laughs> right, right, right. This podcast is brought to you by Sensar Marine in Bergen, Norway, makers of SmartBoat One, which provides you with a 24-7 connection to your boat and her vital functions all year round. SmartBoat One works on its own internal battery and does not require boat or shore power. So, so how many tournaments will then you participate in a year if you have a full-time you know, captain on the payroll? Um, how active is the boat? Active boat is very active. So the tournament schedule in uh, the Gulf, the Northern Gulf, is really runs from May to mid July, and there are, uh, I believe, there are ten professional tournaments in that time frame. Part of almost all of these tournaments are part of what uh, we call the Triple Crown. The Triple Crown is names the Gulf champion. And the way that it is, is there's a point system and depending upon how you do in your best three tournaments, that determines the triple crown. So last year we came in 10th, uh, overall, which was pretty doggone good. Out of how, full, how many, uh, out of, out of how many boats over a hundred is yep. probably 128, okay. 130 that mm. uh, fished a qualifying tournament. Um, and, um, so uh, we will fish this year. I believe we're fishing eight of the ten, uh, and the um, and but then really what after mid July, then there are some smaller tournaments which are not part of the Triple Crown, which are not professional tournaments. But also, we, it's really when, uh, sadly enough, we call fun fishing because that's when the best fishing in the Gulf starts is that's really when the Marlin are up there is when <laughs> tournament season ends, but because of hurricanes, uh, and there's so much money tied up in the, um, tournaments, yeah. you know, obviously you don't the want later to you get in the, the summer conditions. Yeah. Right. And so that's just by mother, mother nature's demand that the professional tournaments end in mid July because of the risk of a tournament getting scratched or, or boats being put in harm's way is just too high. And so after that, we, we fish really uh, fun fish uh, until you can until really about Thanksgiving. I was going to say, see, we in Norway have this term called boat season. And I was wondering whether or not my friend in Pensacola even has that concept, or is it just year round boating? Because for me, it's from now, like literally, I just took my first major trip with the kids on Sunday for the day until about October. And then I might use my boat twice all winter. Yeah, we, um, we fish and, uh, do quite a bit of boating, uh, really until Thanksgiving. And then, 
there are folks who fish all the way year round, but with a boat of this size and particularly with the demands you put on in a tournament, uh, she's got to, got to go on the hill, yeah. <laughs> uh, at least once a year yeah. because we do the bottom job and all that. So there usually there's about two months, two, two and a half months out of the, uh, the year where you're doing maintenance. And, but that's a very active part of the captain's job too, because we find that, um, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. So if the captain is on site, uh, saying, when are the contractors getting on the boat to do X, Y, and Z? And Hey, I'm going to go get you this part that you say you can't get that's when the boat gets out of the yard quicker. And, and it's kind of like old folks being in the hospital, you know, the sooner you can get them home and out of that hospital, the better off it's because hospitals are dangerous places. And so are boat yards. They're just dangerous places in terms of, uh, you know, just that's the amazing. grime. I haven't heard this before. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Just the grime and, and, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, they're at risk. Forklifts. Yeah. They're, they're, it's there. There's risk of, you know, you're getting things fixed. But they, you're being on, on the uh, on the on the blocks in the yard, um, and depending on the yard, it may not have raw water supply, so your AC may not be running, which means the boat's getting humid. It's just a bad spot for you to be in. So you, if you have a captain, if you're fortunate enough to have a captain, you want him there every day until that boat's splashed because uh, you want that boat back in the water as quickly as possible. So not just the term "fish out of water," but uh, boat, <laughs> yeah. boat out of water. Yeah. It's not a good feeling. How many uh, hours do you clock on the engine in a in a season? That's, I think last year, um, we maybe did four hundred, um, and that was cut short because of the hurricane. We had Hurricane Sally here, and we hauled our boat out for the hurricane, and it's a good thing because the marina sank uh, where the boat was. But then in the yard, uh, the boat got sandblasted by, you know, 24 hours of hurricane strength winds from three different directions. And so we just have now gotten the boat back in the water um, because of, uh, of all the repairs that needed to be done were done slower because yeah. there were so many boats that had Hurricane Sally damaged. But, yeah, typically uh, if you're fishing an active uh, tournament schedule, you know, the average low end would be 250 and the high end would be about 500 hours a year. Amazing. And how many nautical miles are you, you covering? You mentioned your, your range, but I want to use the phrase, how much ground do you cover? That's not the right way of putting it. Yeah. How much ocean do you cover? Well, so keep in mind that we do three day trips and most of the fuel is, uh, burned going out there and coming back. So it really depends on uh, where the blue water is. How far so, out are you going? Um, the closest you would be typically is 70 miles. More typical is about 150 miles. Wow. And the long shot would be um, even 160 miles. Um, it just depends on... So, so the captain and I look at these very advanced charts, which have uh, water temperature, which have the chlorophyll which have uh, currents and which there's a little bit of a science to it. And you also look at the, um, uh, the solar lunar tables as to whether they're going to be feeding and when they'd be feeding. Um, and so you have kind of an idea of where you want to be to try and find the fish. But frankly, I mean, last year and last year's tournaments, we, um, we, most of the big fish we caught, they're Alabama rigs that are about 70 miles offshore uh, and there's a bunch of them. There's like six of them. And so you can kind of do a circuit around, uh, without having spent too much fuel, uh, or time more critically 
getting out to the setup of rigs uh, that are, are very, very productive. And they were very productive when I was younger, and then as deeper water rigs developed uh, and drill ships were skipping around, um, the, the, uh, the, the, the tournament boats like to go to those deeper water rigs. But we've been very fortunate, at least in the last season, with the Alabama rigs, which are only 70 or 80 miles offshore. Right. Ever get seasick? I've never, I've been very fortunate. I've never been, um, and the, um, I've had obviously several guests who have, and my <laughs> remedy, they never want to do it. My remedy is, uh, cause David got seasick one time and I don't know if it was really seasickness or just <laughs> too much wine, women, a song the night before. Um, but it, it's to jump in the water and kind of do a reset and you, you jump in the water and the water is typically 75 or 80 degrees. And that will supposedly will shock your autonomic system and make your body forget that, that it was seasick. Yeah. <laughs> that it, right. Uh, but no, I've been, I've been fortunate. Uh, my kids are, uh, fortunate too. They've never been seasick, but now Heather, uh, if she looks at a, um, a Van Gogh painting, she gets seasick. So. <laughs> See, that's why like, I'm so dying to go on a trip with you, but it is that just, uh, that fear of, uh, and, and well, we're we're working on it. We're working on it, Kelly. Where they, uh, you've probably heard there's uh, gyros out there, and uh, one's called the Quick, and one's called Seakeeper, and they are basically anti-roll technology, and they've been very popular. And we are going to have ours outfitted, but the problem is now with COVID, there's a, a semiconductor shortage. And so all of these more advanced electronics are on back order. And so um, when well, by the time you get to Florida, hopefully we will have the sea keepers on and it'll be a nice flat ride for you. That is a great segue. I was I was had in my head earlier when you were talking about outfitting your boat. Uh, talk tech, the state of marine technology, because you have to be as advanced as anyone I'm going to talk to uh, about the state of marine technology. You mentioned the charts, for example. What's driving your chart technology? What who provides it? There's a couple of uh, professional services, and they're really getting um, NOAA uh, satellite imaging. But then they are they are they're uh, uh, turbo they're turbo blasting it. So they take um, several different data so points. They've got the uh, the the imaging from NOAA, then they've got the readings from weather buoys, and they kind of combine it all together and are able to extrapolate what the currents are doing, where the temperature breaks are. Um, and so those are two professional different services. One's called Hilton's, the other one's called uh, Roth's. And what and, sort of display um, is that? Is that coming in on? Can you talk me through what so the interface looks like? Sure, you would just download it onto your computer. So you would, uh, so and it's not a real time image. So it's like, okay, this is what it was last, you know, yesterday at five o'clock. Okay. And yeah. because you know that the situation is not going to change radically, it's going to change only as fast as the current can move. Uh, you you know that, that where the ballpark of the good fishing should be um, based on. It. So you would get that um, on uh, just a a. a, a a chart of the Gulf of Mexico, for instance, and you say, okay, right there. And I know that's by the Appomattox oil rig. And so that's, we're going to, we're going to kind of aim in that direction and trying to find the blue water and the temperature break. And usually when you're out there, when you find uh, a temperature break or a blue water break, you, you'll be clued in because 
Number one, you'll see the birds. Then you'll see a bunch of flotsam and jetsam on the water. And you, uh, you hopefully will see a rip. And a rip will be, you know, <clears throat> dark blue, almost purple water on one side and then green kind of aquarium tank water on yep. the other. And then uh, a very massive collection of grass and, and palm trees, uh, you know, telephone wire spools, everything are on the buckets. Um, and under that is just a tremendous amount of fish. Uh, there's a whole ecosystem, a whole ch- food chain under that. And so if you can find one of those rips, you may stay on that rip the whole weekend yep. and never make it to the rig if you're lucky enough to find one of those rips. But so what you would do once you have that, t- that, that imaging from Roths or Hilton's is then you get on your boat and then you uh, autopilot out to the, the waypoint where you say we're going. We're going to head to the Appomattox. All eyes are looking for birds. All eyes are looking for flotsam and jetsam, things like that. Yep. And when you get out there, it depends. Uh, your your what helps you catch a fish really depends upon the sophistication of your sonar. So last year, for instance, uh, on the fifty four, all we had was uh, traditional sonar. So that's what is under the boat at this point in time. And it'll go down pretty far. You know, it's a very strong transducer. It'll go down pretty deep, um, but it shows you what's under the boat. And the more sophisticated um, sonars now have the have the the uh, 360 degree scanning and are able to see you know uh, to several hundred feet deep for a half mile in circumference. And uh, and so that's where a lot of the tournament fishermen have have gone to. But right you've got to have a big enough boat to do it because the thing actually has a periscope on it. So that, and that periscope comes up into your engine room. So if your engine room is not tall enough, uh, or if there's not enough space for the mechanic or the captain to get around in the engine room, then you're really not going to want to be putting a a periscope in there to gum up the works because, you know, at least once a trip, there's always an issue with a pump or with, uh, having to, to, you know, wash out a filter or, or, you know, blow out the sea chest or something. You're, you're in the engine room two or three times a trip, um, maintaining something or just doing, uh, checks on things. And so you don't want it to be gummed up with a, a periscope that really doesn't fit in there. Yeah. Any other fancy kit, uh, Corona supply chain issues aside that, uh, you're planning? Uh, you know, the, uh, the only other items that we'll be planning would be, uh, the cameras. So we're going to be doing, uh, deck cameras and engine room. We've already had the engine room cameras, so you can, and all the engine room cameras would show you as, hey, there's a fire in the engine room, which hopefully uh, your alarm and your your fire extinguisher have already gone off uh, in the in the engine room. Um, but the uh, the camera system we're gonna put on deck is and really in the tower is gonna be pretty sophisticated because of the the videotaping requirements. So. Yeah. We in a tournament have backup upon backup upon backups. So we have a handheld, we have a GoPro <laughs> on the waistband of the tower, and now we'll have the right. hardwired camera system. And is any of this um, for surveillance when you're away from the the boat to be sure she's okay? It certainly can be. Yeah, okay. we can. We, That's we not can the primary do, purpose of. No, you can do motion sensing, yeah. mo- motion sensor, uh, so that the. Um, uh, it's a separate software. It's not included with a, the the hardware itself. But yeah, there are there is a a uh, 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 at least one manufacturer and um, probably two that have a an integrated security system 
that has motion sensing, which would then light the cameras up. And of course, cameras running all the time, but would light it up to your phone or to your uh, your iPad or whatever you're monitoring the right. system on. It sounds like a leading question, but I don't mean it to be. But then, do you have a connection to your boat? Um, I mean, I, I've lived now out of the states for so long, and you know, obviously, the business I work in and the sponsors of this podcast, and you know, that's what we're about. But what is the state of it there? I mean, do people have their boat on their phone? You know, the so yes and no. Um, what I have on mine because we had a power outage on my boat uh, two seasons ago or three seasons ago. Meaning the shore power was shore power went out, which is not good for pumps and or for your batteries for that matter. Uh, and um, fortunately, one of the dock crew was walking by <laughs> and said, Hey, you know, none of the boats are pumping out water, so totally happenstance. Uh, okay. Yeah, and um, so what I, I, I've gotten is pretty rudimentary. It is, all it is, is a little box that plugs into any outlet on your boat that's got a cell signal in there, and it will ring your phone if the power shuts off. So, and all it does and is... That's what it detects. Yeah. That's what it detects. So there's no power coming into the outlet. It's got a battery, and then as soon as that's, you know happens for like 30 seconds there's some type of default window because you know you get surges and kind of blips and on on shore power all the time but uh if it's out for an extended period of time like 30 seconds or a minute then it it says okay it's tripped and let's let's ping the owner or the captain or whoever that may be uh and, th and that's it it doesn't tell you anything else it just tells you is there shore power coming into the boat or is there not shore power coming into the boat has the shore power supply stopped in September, we're launching a, a separate module, a control module that'll do just that. Um, also, you can turn on AC and heat uh, from afar. You can hook up your gas, smoke, fire alarm uh, as a third-party extension into the module, and you can surface all that on your phone and, and be sure everything's humming in addition to location, in addition to issue rocking too much or for that matter is she mysteriously left <laughs> the harbor without you knowing about it and also not in your case relevant but maybe to your recreational boat uh outboard theft is as well uh, so that's that's coming this is the shameless yeah, so promotional part of the podcast that we put in at the end and say <laughs> if you don't want to hear it just go away yeah. No, that's very cool. It's like uh, uh, we've got that uh, system, you know, for our for our home like that, and they call it in the United States they call it an integrated home, uh, and so that'd be cool to have an integrated boat, you yep. know, to be able to do that because I look at my home stuff all the time uh, when I'm gone or I'm in my office. I just see what's going on around the house, uh, and so. But what uh, about your car? Cool. Do you have a connection to your car? I do. Yeah. So I've got. I just drive. Uh, Chevrolet's and Chevrolet has a proprietary software, you know, the OnStar that you run everything off of. Um, so if I leave my keys in my exactly. car, I can unlock it with my. That's phone. so cool, huh? It is cool. Or start the start the car yeah. when it's cold outside. Or my wife calls me while I'm in a meeting and says, "I have lost my keys. I'm with the kids," and I just go start. <laughs> she goes, "Thank you." <laughs> <laughs> that is cool. Um, I want to shift gears and then I'll give you back uh, your your day. I know I've caught you at the morning, and I appreciate very much. Um, but. I caught a fish this big. Let's hear about the biggest catch. So the biggest fish I've ever caught would definitely be a blue marlin. 
uh, it was a release fish, so we let her let her go. Uh, and it was probably 400 pounds, would be my guess. Um, and now the that was a blue marlin, and uh, she fought great. Um, but the hardest fish that I've ever caught was um, a about 175 pound yellowfin tuna, and I caught that on my center console with stand up tackle. And so that is a challenge unto itself, particularly when you're telling a person who doesn't know how to drive a boat <laughs> what to do with your boat while you're trying to wrestle this fish to the to the to the side. Uh, that was the most interesting. That felt like the biggest fish. That yeah. the, the marlin, you're in a chair yeah. and you got everything under control. And are you maintaining to- zen, or is there a lot of yelling going on? Oh, there's, there's, uh, yelling is definitely the offshore language when, you know, you, we've got a saying, uh, particularly in the, um, uh, you know, deep sea fishing, uh, offshore fishing like that. Uh, whenever we bring guests on the boat and they're going fishing, we're like, look, it's kind of like going, uh, hunting for the, um, the largest lion. You're not going to see a whole bunch of them. And so we may be, you know, seeing some birds and maybe a jackal or two, uh, but we're, we're here for one fish. And so that means that you're going to be bored some. So make sure uh, that you come, come into the trip with that mindset because otherwise you may not have a good time. But the saying is that deep sea fishing or offshore fishing, particularly for marlin, is hours upon hours of boredom interrupted by 10 seconds of sheer panic. Uh, and then about an hour, hour and a half, uh, up to five hours of really hard work getting the fish to the boat. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's all worth it. I mean, it's, it's look, I mean, I, I decided that my time consumptive sport would be fishing. And I had, uh, when every time I played golf, which is another time consumptive sport, but not <laughs> yeah. nearly as time consumptive as fishing. I got off that course and I was always so angry with myself because you never get a stroke back. You lose a stroke, you know, you never get it back. It's not like tennis where you're like, okay, well I won that set seven to five. Um, and you never get it back. And I just got so mad at myself because that's usually who I was playing against that. And I've never, ever felt that way coming off a boat ever. Even if we get skunked, which is thankfully rarer than it used to be. I just, just have a good time on the water and it's, I'd never leave a boat unhappy. Um, and so well that's said. when the feeling yeah. of the boat, that moment when it leaves the dock, you just shift mindset and it just, it's so hard to describe until you've been out there. And I, I have friends who, even if I take them on a simple trip I and mean, we're not going offshore, we just go out for the day. Years later, they'll tell me one of the highlights of my life, just going out mm-hmm. on the boat for the day to that Island, have a picnic, come back it just something does something for the soul that's right absolutely i agree with you 100 percent. having said that and i like to conclude a podcast uh what's the dumbest thing <laughs> you've ever done on a boat be it your personal boat or going out fishing the dumbest thing oh there's so many to choose from yeah so just flip uh, through your mind to the most embarrassing moment please and share uh, okay. Um, I'll give you one. Uh, so we were, um, this was a few years ago, uh, sword fishing, which typically you do at night, but, uh, more and more often, um, uh, folks are doing it uh, in deep water. I mean, very, very deep dark water at night. So basically swordfish 
are a blackwater fish. They do not want to be in light. Um, and that's why they have such big eye, eyeballs. And so we were fishing and, um, I, you know, it was my smaller boat, um, looking for any big fish is exciting on a, particularly on a small boat. And we we're trying out sword fishing. So it's my first time going sword fishing on the small boat, uh, got an angler he gets on, there's a fish on, you know, I'm all excited. I picked the right tackle. I picked the right lure set up and everything set up right. So I thought, <laughs> and, uh, he loses the fish. And I said, I told you, man, it's nice and even coming up and I'm chewing them out and da, 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 da. And he pulls, I said, come on, bring it up, bring it up and bring it up. And the friggin' hook still had the little protective sleeve on it. <laughs> little, there's like a little uh, like, plastic, uh, like a, a polyethylene fish sleeve protection on it. device. <laughs> right? No, it's to protect your thumbs you. from getting. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was that's the one where uh, that I felt the I felt the most stupid. Although I'm sure that uh, disinterested observers would watching if they were watching me and uh, and my crew on other trips would say, no, that one beats that 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 swordfish story by a by a, by a good measure. <laughs> very good is there anything i should have asked you or any story that uh is there to be told before we conclude this has been great tim really good stuff fascinating this is going to make for a good listen but is there some obvious question speaking of dumb that i should have asked you that i haven't no i i would i would just say that uh um here's uh one of the rules of thumbs that i have because i put I, I take a lot of folks who um, may not have had the opportunity to go fishing, uh, on it, uh, on my boat. And yep. so I've, I've been fortunate enough to be, um, associated with a group called a hero here, which is, uh, a wonderful organization. And a hero is a, uh, the, it's an acronym, which is American heroes enjoying recreation outdoors. And what its aim is and what its mission is, is to prevent veteran suicide. And we have so many veterans of foreign wars now uh, who are still young, uh, who come home and they are, uh, they're, they're bereft. And the theory of the group is if you get vets outside and get them hunting or fishing or hiking or playing golf or what have you, um, and you say it, another event's coming in two months, you give them something to look forward to and you tie them into a community. So I've been very fortunate with being uh, affiliated with that group to do what they call the warrior weekend, excuse me, the weekend warrior hookup, which is an offshore trip. And all I can tell you is that um, when, uh, when you have an experience like that and you take a person who's never had the opportunity to go offshore, uh, maybe they've done bass fishing, maybe they've done, you know, uh, speckled trout fishing, but they've never seen, water where there's nothing else to see but water in your boat and it's a it's a different universe for them and it's really um uh i think it has a good effect on on people and and i've become friends with several of those vets and uh i think that when you think about what boating is you're looking at it from a perspective of hey i'm a healthy happy person um but it can also have a very cathartic effect on people who need help who need time to heal uh, and so that to me, um, all the tournament of fishing aside, which I love, I look forward to that weekend every year. Uh, and I always tell the vets who live in other places, I said, look, if you, you and your wife or fiance or girlfriend, or just come down, 
I'll take you out. We always have a spot. You know, there's always room for one more on the boat. Please come out. Um, and it's a great group and it's, they've given me more than I've taken. Uh, they've given more to me than I've given to them. And, um, and, and so I, that's when I really feel, um, happy to have made the decision to get into boating because I've given some folks some opportunities that they may not otherwise have had. And that's, that's absolutely to me a, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful story. Thank you so much. Listen, Tim, it's sure. been good to see you. Uh, it's been too long. I just was speaking to my mother the other day, and um, we're still kind of having uh, batten down the hatches right now, but hoping that maybe after the summer uh, we can get over there, knock on wood, and things continue to go the right way. Yeah, we'd love to have y'all. We'd love to have you. You're always welcome to stay in our house. We have uh, two rooms we can clear for you. We have the guest suite, and then uh, um, put your <laughs> even, kids in the bunk room. And it's a kind offer, but even better, uh, I want you to come to Norway, and we come to Pensacola. We got to do uh, an informal home exchange one day. And get you over That'd here. Be cool. yeah. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Uh, it's an only experience. a twenty-one foot boat, but it's right there. You can use it. <laughs> <laughs> Not this summer, but next summer when it's warm. It's a plan. All right, my friend. Good to see you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kelly. And that concludes this episode of For the Love of Boats with Tim O'Brien, a big game fisherman based in Pensacola, Florida. And now that travel is seeming viable again, just maybe, I am looking forward to returning to my hometown this fall and testing out my resilience to seasickness by going on board the Panhandler and heading way, way, way offshore on the hunt with Tim. I hope everyone's enjoying the rest of their summer. Safe and happy boating, everybody. Oh.